just remind you, uh, we often pray and talk about um, how uh, your tithes and your offerings um, go to, you know, our Jerusalem, right here uh, in our city, our church, um, our nation, and the ends of the earth. Uh, so, um, you know, in Turkey, I don't know if you've been hearing about this, if you <laughs> missed that, it's a incredible disaster. This morning I read um, after the earthquake, the uh, death count is at 26,000 people. Unreal. I mean, that is a fairly large city, uh, and they're still counting, right? And we know that's uh, going to keep climbing. Um, we also know that Turkey uh, has an infamous reputation for Christians, being one of the hardest countries for a Christian to live in. Um, and part of your tithes and your offerings, we are going to send a financial gift through a Christian organization to help serve during this disaster. So Christ is represented. And so I just know, want you to know when you give, it truly is reaching uh, the entire world. So um, I want to invite you, if you would, um, will you stand with me? And let's take a moment just to pray for Turkey and Syria and that disaster. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, uh, that you would help heal a damaged land, a damaged people, that you'd use us, our giving, Christians giving, Christians' resources uh, as they converge on this disaster. And in the name of Jesus, they love this area. I pray people would find spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing from the presence of Christ there. So we pray for Turkey, for Syria. We pray for a miracle that is God-sized. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, again, I welcome all of you. Welcome you online. Um, are you excited for the Super Bowl? You know, anyone's excited for that? Okay, it's kind of... I was just I was talking to people. Um, one of the best things and worst things to happen for me as a football fan is my team, the Seahawks, made the Super Bowl. And that kind of shifted how I go about the Super Bowl every year. It doesn't have quite the same feeling. Um, but anyway, I, I won't tell you who I'm rooting for, so I, I pray your team wins. How's that? Is that a something? <laughs> I'll just do that. <laughs> uh, I am glad you're here. I know there's a lot more of you out there online. Love you. Hope your team wins, right? Uh, but I was reminded this week uh, uh, online just how important our online ministry is. So when you're here, and, and I love this because this number keeps growing. You know, hopefully you've been happy like I am that people are coming back. Numbers are getting a little bigger. Maybe not in Super Bowl Sunday, a little thin today, but hey, they're out there right now <laughs> uh, making their uh, chip dip right now. Uh, but there are a lot of people for a lot of reasons online. Um, and we love you, and you are part of this family. So when we gather and bring the word, uh, we're gathering with you. Uh, if you're here and you need a Bible, will you raise your hand? We'll get a Bible to you. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Um, we're going to take advantage today of what I'm calling the uh, season of love we're in right now. And if you don't know, gentlemen, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Okay, if I just reminded you of that, you can thank me later, okay? Um, so it is Valentine's Day on Tuesday. So I wanna take um, 
a moment this Sunday just to talk about love and look at the real love story. I want to start with looking at Valentine's Day. Now, Valentine's Day uh, initially was a proclamation of all loves, not just romantic love. You know, it's named after uh, St. Valentine, and they believe that's probably two, if not three, Catholic priests. And these priests were martyred. And they were martyred because the Roman Emperor Claudius, he thought that the soldiers would be better soldiers if they were not married. And so he made a law that young men could not marry. And Valentine's, uh, two of them, Roman priests, um, excuse me, Catholic priests, what they did is they performed weddings secretly. Right? And they did it for this reason. Uh, if you don't know much about the Catholic faith, one aspect of the Catholic faith is they believe that marriage is a sacrament, meaning it's a means of grace. And so what they were doing is they were fighting for God. They were loving God. Because, hey, God says this is a sacrament. You say, no, no way, Claudius, we're going to do it. So they did marriages secretly. But they also had a love for others, the love for these soldiers and their brides, uh, their families, and the entire community. So they had this expression of love for everyone. And they were thrown in prison. And that word, my, would you be my Valentine's, uh, came from one of the uh, priests, wrote a letter to a girlfriend. and says, love your Valentine, right? That was his last name. So now um, here we are in this romantic season of Valentine's Day. That came later. February 14th was that day because like a lot of our Christian holidays, they just superimposed them on top of pagan holidays. So, right? So we're going to celebrate these saints um, on February 14th to try to eradicate a Roman pagan holiday. And boom. So February 14th, um, Initially, it was a proclamation of all love, not just romantic love. It became a romantic love celebration when Hallmark was invented, right? It's true. It's a money-making thing. And it is. So Valentine's was a proclamation of love. 1967, the Beatles weighed in, right? They made their own proclamation. Uh, 1967. June of 1967, uh, the world hit is turning point. They held a concert called Our World. And it was the first satellite link television where all continents were linked together for the very first time. So as the organizers were putting out this technology for the first time and everybody around the world glued to their TVs, uh, there's this band in Britain called the Beatles. And some of the older folks remember Beatlemania. Crazy. If you're young and you don't know that, watch some YouTube things. People were going bananas over the Beatles. So I said, okay, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, will you write a song uh, that is a message to the whole world? How many of you know what the song was? Somebody, All you need is what? Uh, and listen, you just sang the whole song, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it made it simple. All you need is love over and over and over. John Lennon wrote it, and he said, this is the message. Their proclamation is all the world needs, all the humans need is love. Well, today we're going to look at the real love story, right? We want to look at 
the original proclamation of love. And we're going to see that comes from Jesus. So I want to start, if you're in Matthew 22, uh, look over to verse 34. But as we look at the original proclamation about love that comes from Jesus, is Jesus qualified? Is he qualified to make the proclamation? Well, I call it the original proclamation for this reason. If you look at John chapter 1, uh, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 in John chapter 1, it said, The Word became flesh. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, so he has the authority. Jesus is God. He's the creator. He created all things. And the word used in John 1, it says he is the word, which the Greek word there is logos. means he is the reasoning. He is the why for all things. He is the original. The younger people would say the OG, right? Jesus is the OG. So he has the qualifications to make a statement about love. I want to look at 1 John chapter 4. So he is God. What does it say about him in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8? If anyone does not love, they do not know God. Why? God is love. Does God do love? No, God is love. It's his very essence. It's who he is. Therefore, yes, it is what he does because it just flows from him because he is love. And so if we're going to look at a proclamation, if we're going to look at love, we want to hear from one and only Jesus, the original, the logos, the creator. God himself. And here's what he says. If you are in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, let me give you a little background on what's going on here in Matthew 22. Um, Jesus had just entered into Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, many of you know this uh, Passover as the triumphal entry where he comes into town under great celebration because they believe that the political champion is coming. So they line and they put the palm branches down, right? Palm Sunday. And here he comes into Jerusalem. And the religious leaders see this. And they're aware of this. And they don't like it. And so they begin to test him. First the priest, right? And then uh, another uh, section of the Jews, the Sadducees, uh, and Jesus has a conversation with them. And then the Pharisees, they're involved in all of it and they're watching. And this is where Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 comes in. Jesus makes his proclamation. So let's read it together. And as they're testing him, what they want to do is uh, trip him up. They want to trap him. Why? Because if they can trap him in his words, they may be able to diffuse his popularity. And that's what they're hoping to do. 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, just silenced them on the resurrection because the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife uh, or the resurrection. And Jesus just silenced them because they were questioning him, trying to trap him. So now the Pharisees are here. So they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what they are trying to figure out is, and this is not uncommon to ask a rabbi, a teacher, to sum up all the teachings. You know, what's your, what's your key phrase? What's your motto? Right? And so this is common. So people know whether to follow that rabbi or not. Um, so, but they had an intent for them was to try to trip him up, that he would say something that wouldn't line up with, for the Pharisees, their values, right? And the people would, you know, turn against Jesus. And so when they say, what is the greatest commandment? What's the bottom line? What's the most important thing for us humans in this world? That's really the question they're asking. What's the most important thing? What is his answer? Love. Love is the most important thing. And he, say, he gives that answer in, in three kind of phases, but a single answer that love is the most important thing for us as humans. He says, first is to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What he's saying is with everything that you are, you are to love everything that God is and does. With absolute everything you are, to love everything about God. He says this really interesting. The second thing is like it. He links it. Is you are to love your neighbor as yourself. They ask for how many commands? The greatest. But he gives it in two commands, but it's really one thought. Because you cannot separate these two things. He says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning, if you do one, there's going to be a change, a transformation in you. And there's going to be an overflow from you to the world around you. And anytime you see neighbor in the scripture, understand uh, it is not talking about simply the person who lives in the house next to you. It's talking about someone who doesn't believe like you, doesn't look like you, doesn't act like you, right? So anytime you hear neighbor, we kind of get this soft, oh, our neighbor, yes. You know, we share a lawn, we talk over the fence. You know, there's some truth in that, but when the scripture is talking about it, it has a much more abrasive, like, wow, our neighbor, those who aren't Jewish, that's what you're talking about. It's tough. As yourself. Just as you love the Jewish nation, as you love everything about yourself and this community, love your neighbor in the same way, right? So it's, whoa, okay? The answer is love. The proclamation by Jesus is love. 
And he says this, just some clarity here. And we often overlook this, and that's the third aspect of his answer, is that all of the law and the prophets depend on this. Your translation may say hang, or it may say based on. It all means the same thing. On these two commandments, everything pivots on that. Everything depends on that. It is the foundation of it all. Everything God asks of us, the foundation of it is love. Everything God speaks through people to us, the foundation of that is love. It absolutely is all about love. That is the logos. Love. It's the reason. It's the why. It's God. It's Jesus. Love is the reason. And from that love, we are to see all things. Everything you experience is to be seen through love. Now, sometimes that's easy, right? I mean, you just know, boy, that was God's love. I get that. I mean, everything's working out. High fives, you know, fist bumps. Woo, I see it. Thank you, God. You're grateful. I see your love at work. Sometimes it is difficult. It's in suffering. It's when things don't work out that we still have to see everything is founded on God's love. A friend of mine just this week got maybe one of the worst diagnoses you can get. Uh, and we're spending time talking through that. And as we're talking, we're talking about his time of worship, his time of prayer. Uh, what I'm hearing from him are these moments, these moments in great tragedy, tears, um, in every, every spectrum of emotion. He experiences God's love. God gives him comfort, relieves his pain for a moment, gives him a vision for the future, gives him a vision of his presence with him. He shows him his love even in suffering and pain. Through everything, we should look through the logos of love. Everything. So what does Jesus want us to do with this? I turn your attention to Romans chapter 13. And in there is Jesus is teaching this and he will further teach. This is Paul talking. Uh, and he's going to say this. Is, Once you understand you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and in that, you understand God. When you love God with everything you are, you open up to what God has done for you, who he is, his love for you, his grace, his mercy, his death on the cross. Uh, his resurrection for you. Everything about him, you come into an understanding when you love him. And he pays the debt fully. There's nothing you owe God. There's nothing you could actually pay him. And in that, there's a transformation, a change of your very heart. He says, now from that space, we see Romans 13. Verses 8 and 10. It says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So for us, transformed hearts, us followers of Jesus. We don't owe him nothing. The only thing we owe is to have our hearts transformed and changed by Jesus. And we owe love to those around us. A reflection of a heart that knows Jesus. So everything we do is to be seen through the lens of love. Every reaction, interaction, is to be seen through the lens of love. There's a question every follower of Jesus should ask every single moment. And that's this question. What does love require of me? Every moment. Every encounter. Every emotion. What does love require me? Because that is what is outstanding. That's the debt you and I owe. Nothing to God, but everything from God through us to the world around us. So how do we live that out? How do we live out the question of love being required of us? I'm going to take you uh, to Jesus in uh, John chapter 4. He's in the upper room. He is ready uh, to be arrested soon. He's teaching his uh, disciples. And he gives a new command. He gives a new command. And in this new command, in John chapter 13, I want to walk you through to get you this. Um, it's actually a renewed command. It's actually a renewed command. And not necessarily a new command. So go with me really quick, okay? A little bit of the history of love, the story of love for the Jewish people and for us. It starts back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to read a little further, but it's something called the Shema. And it's a prayer. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, and that is the prayer. That's the beginning of what they call the Shema. And in the last couple of verses, I just want to read to show you how they want it to be played out. It's everywhere in their life. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. And these are just things that uh, the Jews, Old Testament Jewish people would use to um, remind them of God's commands for them. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. So this Shema is actually the first prayer every Jewish child learns. To love God with everything you are. See, the command to love uh, comes right out of the gate because God is love. 
It's what he wants from us. There's a second part to the Shema from Leviticus. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we see that this command that we're going to see to love is not a new command. Every Jewish child, every Jewish person, daily, morning and afternoon, recites the Shema. And they recite it this way. They take their hands like this, and they recite the Shema, and they rock as they recite it. They recite it multiple times. And when their heart is ready, what they do this, then they pull their hands apart. And why they do that is they want the command to love God with everything they are and that to overflow to others, to love their neighbor as themselves. They want that to be how they see everything. You know, and... Next week, we leave for Israel tomorrow, us and a bunch of some of you right here, heading to Israel tomorrow. And within a week, we're going to be at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And you will see the Jewish faithful doing this. What they're doing is reciting the Shema, to love God and love others. Love is the foundation of everything. And they'll do this when their hearts are ready. Because they want to see everything through the lens of love. That's what God has always wanted from us. He gave us the law, Galatians 3 tells us, as a guardian. It is a guardian. It's to come alongside us and point out the sacrifices, the law, the words of the prophets. Point out to love God and to love others. Be reminded of this. Until the original shows up. Until the logos actually makes an earthly appearance, Christ so law is just a guardian for that. And then we get to John 13. And I call it the restoration. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. He says this to them, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I call it the restoration because hopefully I just showed you that love is from God. It has always been. It has always been our call. It has always been the logos. It's always been the original. And so what Jesus is doing here, and the comparison I'm going to give you is um, if you love old cars and love to see old cars restored. You understand the difference of a restoration and a remodel, right? Huge difference. What a remodel does to a car is it takes all the uh, new technologies, you know, the new little gadgets that are recently made, and they take this car and they put on it. And some people love it, wonderful. Um, but you can see that a mile away, can't you? But some of us, we love the vintage, right? You know, the purr of a 1960s muscle car is just beauty to my ears, right? Love it. When you see an original that is restored, it goes back to how it was intentionally meant to be. That's what Jesus is doing. This is a new command. And the only reason it's new is because You've seen the original, and now 
He is going to do a good work on the cross for you to restore it so that you can live it out. And he gives us and teaches them the highest form of love there is. And the Greek word for that is agape. Agape love. And that is a love different than anything else. It's a type of love that God has for us that we are called into. It's a love that is based on fact, not feelings. It is a state, not a response. It's a choice. Not giving somebody something they deserve. It's agape love. And it's the love that God has for us. It's a love that Jesus says in Matthew 22. It's agape love of God, agape love for others. And he says, this is the new commandment, agape love for all of you to have. Because you've now experienced it. You've seen it. I'm going to go to the cross. They're going to know a lot more in just a few days. Right? They get a lot wiser really quick about everything that's going on. I want you to do this. And he does this cool thing in the upper room. He gives them an illustration. These are a pack of 12 men. And us guys, can I say it, guys? We're slow learners, okay? Is it a fair statement? <laughs> okay. Uh, words just go by us. We need to see it in action. That's what Jesus does. Earlier in John 13, uh, verse 1 through 15, you see this incredible illustration of agape love. They're sitting at dinner. And what was the custom is as you'd enter from the outside uh, to a gathering, there would be a servant who would wash your feet, preparing for you to be indoors because, remember, they wore sandals or were barefoot out in the arid desert land. So you can only imagine what feet looked like and smelled like. And so a servant, a lowly servant, would come and wash each participant's feet so they can enjoy the meal. Jesus stands up from the table, takes his outer coat off, and you, many of us have heard the story before. He goes and he kneels down and he begins to wash their feet. A radical example of agape love and what he has for us, what he is calling to, to love like him, to agape like him. And he washes their feet. Peter just says, no way. This is too radical. No way. He says, boy, if you knew, you'd ask me to wash your whole body. And Peter gets kind of a moment of clarity and says, come on, do that. Wash my whole body. And it doesn't stop there. This radical example of humbling himself and serving them and loving them. Did they deserve it? No. I mean, I love these guys, but man, I mean, for our heroes of the faith, they're a bunch of knuckleheads, right? And it's kind of hard to read about the apostles when you know how it ends. You're thinking, no, Peter, don't say that to Jesus, <laughs> right? Don't do these things. But I'd say this, the example gets more radical when you start thinking about who all were sitting there, right? Judas, who Jesus already identified as the one who would betray him. would go tell them so they could arrest him, so they could crucify him. And he was fully aware of what that crucifixion would feel like, right? We know in the garden as he cried out, take this cup from me. And he went to the cross. 
and went through the crucifixion, the worst kind of death even today, torture for our sins in our place. He knew that Judas would do that. Still, what did he do? Washed his feet. It's unreal. When we look at agape love, we look at Jesus' proclamation to love God and love others because everything hinges on that. It is the Logos. It is God. It is absolutely radical. And we're told in John 13, he says, you've seen your teacher doing this. He's talking to Jesus. You've seen me doing this. You go and do the same to others. The calling is clear for us to agape love the world around us because we've received agape love. And it's the evidence of a transformed heart. It's the evidence that you get it, that you understand how much God loves you, what Jesus did for you, and what hangs in the balance, eternity. And everybody is worthy of eternity through Jesus Christ. And we get to be his examples. Many of us be the first Jesus someone sees as we kneel down and wash their feet, literally or figuratively. So I want to end as we look at some next steps this morning uh, with just some thoughts. I take you first back to 1 John 4 and remember that text. And even verse 7 and 8, it just says this. Uh, um, we love because he first loved us. We love him because we're born again. Let me read this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so in that, it starts with being connected with God. It's not about a do-gooders club. You cannot agape love on your own. You don't possess it. It is given to you. So it is about a surrender. Not how good can you be. No, it's how good can God be. How much will you allow him to transform your heart, your attitude, your words, everything about your life. Everything hangs on these two commandments. And so I'm going to take us through just a little evaluation uh, so if you have your notes, it should pop up here. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And this is not a wedding scripture, though it's very fitting for a wedding, right? Beautiful, wonderful. But this is a, talking about agape love. And the context is actually to Christians who are fighting with each other. It says, no, this is what agape love is. The first three verses in here just says, it is everything. If you have love, you, if you do not have love, you don't have anything. It's the logos. It's the reason why it's the beginning. And he says, this is what it looks like. So I want you, whether you circle a number, whether you just look at the number, to just say, God, where am I at? How is agape working through my life, in my life, to the world around us? Let me read this, 1 Corinthians 14. Love is patient. Do you have the patience of God? 
Patients like God. Rarely, mostly. Love is kind. Are you kind? It does not envy. Agape is happy for what you have and for what others have. It does not boast. It's not full of arrogant words and arrogant opinions. It is not proud. Agape is the opposite. It's full of humility. It kneels down and washes an enemy's feet. It does not dishonor others. It doesn't dis disrespect people regardless of who they are. It is not self-seeking. Again, the opposite. It's actually a servant's heart. It is not easily angered. Doesn't have a temper. Agape doesn't. Full of grace. It keeps no records of wrong. Agape is forgiving. Love does not delight in evil. Agape is safe. But it rejoices with the truth. Agape is honest and full of integrity. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It believes for the best in a person. Not what have they done, but what could God do in their life? What's possible? It always perseveres. Long-suffering. I love the end of that. Love never fails. So as we ready to sing this last song, make me more like Jesus. Make me more agape. Like the word, like the logos, like Jesus. There's a world that desperately needs it. But might I say this? If you are not agape loving, there's something you're missing. You deserve it. God loves you. So it's just not, oh, you're not nice enough to other people. He says, I want your whole heart. There's something more I have for you. And you're allowing something of pain or hurt to win out. And I think it breaks his heart. So your invitation may be to allow God to agape love you. Truly love you. So that you can agape love others. So if we all agape one another, love God with all of our heart, soul and mind, and love others or ourselves, wouldn't that be an amazing Valentine's Day? Wouldn't it be? And there's one place it starts, and that's Jesus. Would you stand with us? Let's praise him.